as I mentioned last week when we started the book of Ephesians, I chose it because I, it's like a blueprint for a church, particularly a new church. And uh, I want you to know up front, and kind of do a little slight little review, but not much. The book can be divided up into two parts, okay? Chapters 1 through 3 is doctrine, and 4, 5, and 6 is practice, or what you've heard, practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah. so the purpose of doctrine is to practice. So that's basically how Ephesians is divided up or sectioned off. Very similar to the book of Romans. Okay, Paul often does this in his letters. He begins with sound doctrine, and then he says, here's what it looks like in shoe leather, in other words. Okay? And so that's where we find ourselves over here in chapter 1. Okay? Now, what I want you to know this, we've been talking about we are immeasurably blessed. Blessed beyond measure. We've been looking at chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and this morning we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. Okay? What we're talking about here is what it means to be in Christ. And that's how Paul basically starts out the letter. We are blessed beyond measure because we are what? In Christ. And you notice that, that phrase is repeated many times in chapter 1. And again, I want you to open your Bibles if you're not there already. I want your eyeballs to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, and I want you to follow with me. Okay? For example, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 10 and 11, in him we have obtained what? An inheritance. Because of Christ we're adopted. It's in Christ we have an inheritance. Okay? In Christ, he chose us to be in Christ in reference in respect to Christ. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel, you were sealed in him, that is, in Christ. Over and over and over again, when you see a phrase repeated, it's for emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. We are immeasurably blessed in Christ. That's the whole point. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, what we learned last week, we were blessed in two ways. Way number one, we're so blessed beyond measure because number one, God chose us. We see that in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. God chose us. A second way in which we're blessed is because Jesus Christ redeemed us. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption. Verse 4, he chose us in him. That's the first way we are blessed. And the second way of way we are blessed, in verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This morning, we're going to look at the third way in which we are blessed, and that is we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, we find ourselves this morning in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So let's stand together and read that together as a church family. Just these two verses this morning. So it's going to be relatively a short sermon. I only have two verses. Yeah. yeah. Verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1. In him, that is, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is all about what you've done. For verse 3, how blessed we are because of you. And Lord God, you chose us before the foundation of the world. You sent your son to 
specifically and intentionally died for us. He's shedding his blood. And, and, and it shows that his death and then rose because of his righteousness so that we, we trust in him. You give us that righteousness that is necessary to be just before a holy and righteous God. But God, you didn't stop there. Because you know how feeble and frail we as your children are in this world. You gave us the Holy Spirit of promise. You made a pledge to us, and you marked that pledge with the third person of with yourself, the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that as when we gaze at this passage of Scripture this morning, and actually, Lord God, verses 3 through 14, we will begin to see how immeasurably blessed we are. And God, just cause our hearts stir to worship you, Stir our hearts to want to observe your word, to walk in your witness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The, the reason why Paul does this, I think Paul's goal is to really get to the body of Christ. Okay? Because we see that in practice. When you get to chapter 4, for example, if you want to follow with me as I talk about this, in Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see the word walk repeated over and over and over again. So, here's, here's sound doctrine, but the purpose is for sound practice. Or he used the word walk. And that Greek word simply means to behave or conduct yourselves in a certain manner. For example, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prison of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You've been called, if you're saved, because you've been called to be a child of God, and I want you to walk like him. Amen? It's very practical. So, first one is that hinge pin between doctrine and practice, but I want you to notice something, and we'll get to it down the road in weeks ahead. But notice the word walk in verse 17. I'll repeat it over and over again. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. No words. Don't walk anymore as an unbeliever. Okay? I want your walk to be different now. Your mind, God says. Your mind. I've adopted you. I've redeemed you. I chose you. I gave my Holy Spirit to you as a pledge. Therefore, I want you to start walking differently. You're consecrated unto me. You're set apart. You're sanctified. As we go on through this little letter, we also see walk in chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love. Just as your example, that is Christ, also loved you. Look at verse 8. Walk as children of light. Verse 15 of chapter 5. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise men. And then after that, he goes into relationships. So here's how I want you to walk. Here's doctrine. Here's practice. In practice, in essence, we can say it in two ways. I want you to begin to walk, conduct your lives, behave differently. And oh, by the way, it plays itself out in how you relate to one another in your relationships. He's going to talk about the husband and wife. He's going to talk about, talk about parents and children. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Don't you think incredible how God's word just flows? From, from here are the objective truths of Scripture. The objective truths of Scripture to what we need to look for in our lives. The subjective truths that work by the Spirit in our lives. Here, it's, it's about, if you want assurance of salvation, look in both areas. You look at the objective truths of God's word. I believe in sound God. I believe what the word of God says here. But also, I want to look and examine my life to make sure I begin to practice or work or walk in the sound doctrine. 
So subjective truths, okay, are over here. The objective truths of God's word are here, sound doctrine. And then Paul says, here how it plays itself out subjectively in real life. And again, so we'll get there, man. I, I'm getting so excited, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. That's where we're at. That's my way of saying calm down again. Okay. All right. Last Sunday, we learned that our salvation has what you want to call uh, an eternal aspect to it. Eternal aspect. We learned that last week. Particularly with the phrase, he chose you before what? The foundation of the world. Before he created anything, you were chosen. So there's this eternal aspect called an eternity past. But when you look at now sealing in 13 and 14, there's this new aspect as far as eternity future. So your salvation has an eternal, infinite aspect to it, doesn't it? So when you talk about verse 3, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us, this blessing is an eternal blessing. It began before the foundation of the world, and it's never going to stop. It's ongoing. And that's why you can seal with the Spirit. So when you talk about, that's why the little phrase, eternal life. How many of you have heard that phrase? It's often in Scripture, right? This is so practical. It's eternal life. It's life eternal. Your salvation was thought about in God's mind before you were created, before the foundation of the world, and he has sealed you with the Spirit because it goes on into the eternity future. So let's not forget this eternal aspect of salvation, which is so great and so grand, so that when we read verse 3, who has, been, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, they are eternal blessings, they are infinite blessings. You know why? Because salvation reflects the character of God. Think about it for a minute. God's eternal, so your salvation is eternal. God is infinite, so your salvation is full of infinite blessings, with blessings from the heavens. You know, I think part of my problem is of, well, as, a, as a child of God, as, as it's been adopted like you, is I don't sit and meditate sometimes enough on my adoption, how blessed I am. I'm so busy with life. I'm so busy with getting things done, and the next day and the next hour, I don't stop and think and meditate on just how blessed I really am. And that is what this passage is all about. And, and, and yes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I mean, we're not so much, Paul's not have to have in mind those temporal, material blessings, which come from God as well. But here in this passage, he's specifically talking about, verse 3, those blessings in the heavenly places, which are in reference to Christ. Forgiveness. Grace. Mercy, oh, the love of God is really going to be flowing through this through this book a little bit later on, and those are actually blessings from God, and therefore, because they're from God, they are eternal in character. They are infinite in scope. God doesn't love you just a little bit. God doesn't just love you enough to get you to heaven. He loves you with the exact same kind of love he loves his only begotten son, Jesus. I can't have it. I definitely don't deserve that. So when talks about he has blessed you with, with the blessings from the heavenlies, he's lavished, he's poured out eternally and infinitely upon you. Your forgiveness 
Verse 7, through his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses are infinite forgiveness, eternal forgiveness. Not part, not 99.9, but all, total. God did not hold back. When God blessed you, it's with everything that he's blessed his only begotten son with. And then some. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus shed his blood. He didn't do it for his own sins because he never sinned. So in a sense, God's blessed us beyond. In that sense, right? Think about it. In verse 8, which he lavished on us. I said that he is poor and the poor and the poor. God's not done poor. He will for eternity forever be pouring his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace on you. Just have this in mind. I love thinking like this. It almost pops in my mind. Say I'm a thousand years in heaven. A thousand years gone by and we're in heaven. We're still going to be looking at our Savior, right? And he's going to have what on his hands and feet? I'll be living a thousand, ten thousand years in heaven. Whatever. I, well, I don't can think. And I'll still be saying, is by grace. There will never be a point in eternity future in heaven where I'll finally get to the point where I'll say, okay, now it's because I'm good enough. Never, never, never. Why do you think when he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, particularly doubting Thomas and the others, he showed them, well, here, touch me here. And then touch me here, my was pierced the side. And all Thomas would do was say, my Lord and my God. Will always be an eternal, infinite reminder of God's eternal, infinite grace and mercy. Amen? Alright. Uh, there's four things I want us to look at this morning as we look at these two verses. Just like four things, two verses. Pretty good, huh? I could come up with ten, but we're going to be nice to you. Alright, here they are. First, I want us to look at the meaning of the word sealed. You see that in verse 13. Second thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the one who does the sealing. Okay? Primarily the Holy Spirit. Number three, uh, we're going to look at the purpose of being sealed, which is the last part of verse 14 to the praise of his glory. Okay? And then finally, point number four is all-encompassing. That'll be a summary of verses 3 through 14, and that simply is the power of God from beginning to end. So that's what these verses are all about. When you talk about salvation, we're talking about the power of God from the very beginning to the very end, to the Alpha and Omega. Amen? And so that last point is more of a summary of this last two, this last Sunday and this Sunday morning. So let's learn, look at what it means to be sealed. The word takes on various nuances or meanings depending on the nuance simply means means depending on the context it's in. It fluctuates just a little bit. There's obviously parallels. Let me give you a few of those. It means security. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, for example. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You're kept secure until that day of redemption. And notice there's this future aspect yet. We'll get to it in a minute. You have not fully experienced your salvation. There is a certain aspect of your salvation that you will not experience until you die. Praise God. <coughs> So in other words, death means we have something to look forward to. Precious in the sight of God is the death of one of his saints. And that's precious to God. Why is that precious to you, God? Because God says it means you're coming home to be with me. And at that point, you will realize the fullness of your salvation like you never have before. 
because I have so much more for you in the heavenly places. See, on earth, all we get is a taste of the blessings of God. That's nice. Some cool space won't do that. Oh, I could. Dog won't. And I knew food. Never mind. But you can go there. So security, Ephesians 4.30, also Matthew 27.66. There's another nuance to the word, the Greek word sealed, and it's, it comes from John 6.27. And it's in reference to authentic, authentication or approval. Uh, let me read that one. Uh, again, that's John chapter 6, verse 27. It's right here. Do not work for the food which perishes, for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God has set his... There's a great word, same word, seal. God has set his seal on him. In other words, he's authenticated and approved him to be the son of God, right? Not that he, not that Jehovah Witnesses say he became a God. This is to tell humanity he is God. He is, okay? He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. All right, he was there in creation. You go to John 1, 1, he's eternally God. You go to Genesis chapter one, he said, we made man in our image. That means the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Jesus has always been God. There is a seal. And that says authenticated, approved. There's also a sense, you go back up a couple chapters in John chapter 3, verse 33. It says this. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. So in that sense, there's a genuineness. So words like security, authentication, approval, genuineness, all come together to kind of give us a fullness of the meaning, what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit, to be authenticated. Okay? Are you with me? So we see that's what the word means. It's what it indicates. Identification of ownership. Go to Revelation 7-2, by the way. And if you have time, write these down. Just looking at what it means to be sealed. 7-2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. An angel having the seal of the living God. And then we can go to the next one, 9-4, and it says this, They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. It's a sense of ownership. Seal also carries with it the meaning of ownership. In other words, we read 13 and 14. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who was given as a pledge. We read this. <clears throat> God gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. God gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Down payment comes from the word pledge. Who was given as a pledge. Who's making the pledge? You're not making the pledge. Who's making the pledge? God is making this pledge. He's making a pledge to you. Who did he make it with? You and how is he showing you this? With the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God is giving you a down payment to show you that he is going to fulfill his promise to you of eternal life. And he did it by giving you the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we see that first of all, which leads us to the second point. Okay? Look who does the sealing, the Holy Spirit. Let me back up for a minute. I do want to develop uh, this a little bit further. Let me back up for a second point. I, I, 
I want you to turn to First Peter chapter one, three, and four because I think Peter, for my own intents and purposes, says a little bit better. Okay, it's not that Paul obviously made. Okay, it's a great little parallel couple of verses. First Peter chapter one, three, four, and five. Because the next phrase, get to the phrase in Ephesians chapter one, where it says, "We seal the Holy Spirit of promise." In verse 14, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. There's a view going on here. He gave you a pledge with this view that down the road in the future, God will fully adopt you. God will give all his inheritance to you as something in future. So right now, he's given you that pledge. He sent you the Spirit to, to tell you this, okay? Look at First Peter chapter 1, 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope. Not a dead hope. A living hope. Why is our hope alive? Because Jesus is alive. Amen? That's why our hope is alive. If Jesus never rose from the dead, our hope would never be alive. It's a living hope. It's a done deal. Even though we do not experience it now, the fullness of salvation, to God, it is a done deal. Because he's sovereign. Okay. Let's go on. To be born again to a living hope through, here it is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Proofs in the pudding. The resurrection of the dead. So it's a living hope. To obtain an inheritance. Here's the purpose. To obtain an inheritance. Which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It will not weaken. It will not dim. It doesn't become lessened. It's imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Now look at that last phrase in verse 4. Reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved for you. It's reserved for you. And while it's reserved for you, he is giving you the spirit as a pledge to his promise that what I got reserved for you in heaven is going to be there waiting for you when you get there. Love is part of our salvation. And it puts new meaning to blessed hope. What it means is this, you are eternally secure. You are, listen, the Father chose you. The Son came down, the Father told the Son to come down to earth to purchase you with his blood, right? To redeem you. And then that's the first and second person of the Trinity. Then you got the third person of the Trinity coming down as a pledge to, uh, to dwell you as a pledge from the Father that you're mine. And all that I promise you is yours. And nothing's going to get in the way. Here's what's going on. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to your salvation, God did not hold back. Not just eternally and infinitely, but all three persons of the Trinity are involved in your redemption. This gives new meaning to infinite eternal love and infinite grace. Because that's who God is. So let's look at the one who seals. Okay? Uh, wait a minute. Let's go to verse 5 of 1 Peter. Just real quick. I, you know, I get excited. I just kind of keep going. It's reserved in heaven for you. So here you are on earth. There's your inheritance reserved in heaven. You ain't there yet, right? You're down here. Each and every day, doing the rat race on earth. 
struggling to make ends meet, struggling with relationships, maybe going through some physical problems, whatever. Here you are. The daily grind. Verse 5. Meanwhile, you're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This future aspect of salvation, amen? So, meanwhile, you're on earth, you're child of God, your inheritance is reserved in heaven, but God's saying, but I will protect you while you're on earth. I'm not going to let you go. And I will protect you. So here's how I know you protect you. I will give you my spirit as a seal of your redemption, as, as a pledge to you, a down payment that what's in heaven is yours. All because of Christ. All because of Christ. So let's go back to Ephesians real quick. I love that passage. Because after that, Peter talks about trials. Right? So I talked about trials before. Let's go back to Ephesians. And let's look at the one who seals for a moment the Holy Spirit. Not only were you bought with the precious blood of the Lamb, but you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, as he says, of promise. Last phrase in verse 13. Sealed in him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. But notice you must believe, you back up a couple of words, you must believe in the gospel of your salvation. And that's continually believe. Genuine, true, saving faith is a continuous, ongoing faith, not something that you could lose. Okay? Having also believed, ongoing, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Down payment for the salvation God has promised you. When you trusted Christ, God gave you the Spirit. He made you alive in Christ. The Spirit's a pledge, a down payment to guarantee the inheritance that God promised you. You know, Jesus taught this in the Gospel of John. This should be no surprise. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to turn to the Gospel of John, got a couple of references here. You're going to see this. Jesus prayed for this, by the way. Jesus taught us in John chapter 6, excuse me, John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, that we cannot be lost. Listen to this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. So, what's Jesus saying? You can't lose your salvation, amen? You can't perish. If you are in Christ, you can't be out of Christ. And here's why. And I'm going to say this. This is what chapter 1 is all about. That's because the reason why we believe is because of a previous work of God in our lives. It's all of grace. That's all I can say. Remember we talked about that a little bit. This was short last week. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's a double catch here, isn't it? Jesus is saying, here, they're in my hand, and they're in the, and I'm, and we're in the Father's hand. How can you get out of that grip? Right? What a grip. It's a double grip. Jesus is teaching eternal security right here. In verse 30, I and the Father are one. A little bit later on, by the way, in chapter 14, he tells us how he's going to do this, how they are going to do this. Chapter 14, 16 and 17. 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Whoa, whoa, what's that word? Forever. Holy Spirit's with you. Once the Holy Spirit indwells you, he's with you for part time, for a couple years, a couple days, forever. But I sin forever. I really messed up in a relationship forever. Right? God does not a license to go on sinning. We understand that in Romans 6. Well, if it's all of grace, should we go on sin? That grace may abound all the more? Paul goes, no, 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 no. If that's what you're thinking, you don't understand. Because when God saves you the way you are, He loves you so much, He wants to begin to change who you are. And so He begins to sanctify and work, conforming you to the image of Christ. Because He doesn't want you to remain as you are. Because as we are changed in a lost and fallen world, the more like we are to a lost and fallen world. People don't get saved because we conform to the world. People get saved because we deconform, that's a word, to the world. I'd have to look at what I'm saying in mind. You get the point, right? Because he says it's more and more and more. He goes on. Here's what's so precious. We've been in John chapter 10. We're in the grip of the Father and the Son. We go to chapter 14. We're in chapter 16. He do it by giving us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, right? Indwelling us. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He saw the disciples. That's the faith of the church. But let's go to chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer. Jesus did his teaching. He prayed about it. Wow. John chapter 17. As we work slightly through this book, the Gospel of John, Jesus prayed that all that the Father would give to him, he would lose none. Look at 17, 11, and 12. He's praying now to the Father. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Wow. Do you realize right now that you're one? The Father is Jesus with the Father, and you are truly in Christ. Let that just sink. Look at this grace is over. Talk about God showing himself. God, before the foundation of the world, chose to show his love, to show mercy, to show grace, decided to show it without holding anything back. That's why it's eternal. That's why it's infinite. Amen? And Jesus prayed about this. Verse 12, while I was with them, I, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. Why that one? So the scriptures would be fulfilled. Oh, there's authority right there. Because in the Old Testament, warned about the son of perdition. And that's Judas. And that happened because the scripture said it would happen. God's word goes fulfilled over and over and over again. So we see... God does this through the power of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is our son. Here's the purpose of being sealed. Let's go back to Ephesians. Here it is in chapter, uh, chapter, verse 14, excuse me. 
The purpose of being sealed is found in the last phrase, to the praise of his glory. This phrase, remember from last week, is repeated three times, three times. From the praise, uh, or the praise to the praise of his glory. Over and over again, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then once again, then in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So why does God seal it for his glory? Why did God choose you for his glory? Why does Christ redeem you for his glory? Why does the Holy Spirit seal you for his glory? Why does God talk the words? You know, beloved, it's about him. And how often when we hear the word of God preached, how often when we hear what's going on in churches, it's more man-centered. It's about what men do, what women do. It's centered around men and feeling good and getting therapy and entertainment instead of hearing the word of God and proclaiming what God has accomplished and done in Jesus Christ. What God does through the power of his Holy Spirit. What God the Father has planned throughout the ages. To his glory. And you know what? When you think about it, that phrase repeated three times to the praise of his glory, that's why you have chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because this is how it's played out. Doctrine of salvation. And this is how it's practiced. And we, that's why we live to the praise of his glory. So we're going there. That's what the church is all about. The church is about its Savior. And in essence, what Paul does is this. He says, let me develop who owns the church, who creates the church, who the church exists for, and that is God himself. That's the foundation before we get to how we act and how we live and how we conduct ourselves and our relationships. Because it's all built on the foundation of who God is and what he has done in Christ. This is so important. God spent three chapters developing this. Okay? So that gets us to the fourth. Oh, man. We're almost done, believe it or not. Finally. This is eventual. Because God is eternal, his blessings are eternal, because God is infinite, his blessings are infinite, the scriptures are clear, teaches us that our salvation is in God's hands. Let me back up real quick. There's a passage that people get stumble over. It's Revelation 3 5. Okay? I, I've got to go there. Besides, I have an extra minute or two, I want to disappoint you. Let me read it. Revelation 3 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Many people stumble over this passage, particularly when it comes to, obviously, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Well, it's assumed that that is possible. But you understand this context in how John himself uses the word overcome. You will see that this is nothing but a positive statement of eternal security. Here's what I mean. If you go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, 1 John 4, 5, or 5, 4, excuse me, 5, 4. He says, whatever is, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Same Greek word, overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. 
So when you come back to Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. That is, he who has persevering faith, genuine faith. They obviously are the ones that overcome. Are you getting it? And it's a positive statement. It's not you can lose your salvation. It's those who have genuine, true, saving faith will go into eternity. He's have eternal life. Read it as a positive statement. You're there. You're in the book. You're not getting out. Why? Because you have genuine, true, saving faith. Why? Because you've been given a down payment. Because Christ has died for you. Because God has done all this. It's what God has done in Christ. That you overcome by faith. You know, no matter how difficult your struggles are, no matter how what you're dealing with at work, you walk by faith. True saving faith overcomes. It doesn't mean all your obstacles will go away on earth. It doesn't mean you're going to have to have a happy-go-lucky life. Not that at all. Your, your, your prosperity theology people will, will try to sell you that false bill of goods. But what it means is this. You know that Jesus himself is the author and the finisher of your faith. So as you're journeying in this life, as you're going day in and day out through this rat race on earth, you never get your eyes off of Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And that means you're going to go through the valleys and the mountaintops and all in between. But no matter where you find yourself, you're always clinging to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you're always desiring to please him, no matter where you find yourself at in life. Because he loved you so much, he gave his life. Amen? Let me say it this way. In short, salvation isn't yours to lose. It's God's to give. You're going, why do you say that up front? You say it's 30 minutes, preacher. That sums it up. Salvation is not for yours to lose. It's God's to give. Thank the Lord. 